This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Tiffany Weimer is a professional soccer player with experience in South America, Europe, and right here in the United States. In addition to being a pro player, Tiffany is also an entrepreneur. She founded the very popular company Dukedig Brand, which makes a super useful planner for coaches that helps them plan, prepare, and perform. And according to Tiffany, a product for players is also in the works. So keep an eye out for that. Here are some of Tiffany's career highlights that I pulled directly from her website. She founded a women's soccer magazine called Our Game Magazine. She co-founded a girls' soccer club, GFC Academy, in Connecticut. She has been blogging since 2011, and her writing can be found on ESPNW, The Washington Post, Our Game Magazine, and Soccer New England, just to name a few places where she has been published. And Tiffany's writing is actually something that I was very interested in. She recently wrote a short blog post about her experiences playing with the boys while she was growing up. And it's a topic that we discussed during the interview that you will hear in just a second. But the way that she wrote about that experience was so vivid and insightful. And it prompted me to ask a question about doing something that I've never really done before. And that question was, can I record myself reading her blog post as the intro to this episode. Well, actually, I lied. I actually asked her to record herself reading it, but then we settled on me reading it. But that is what you are about to hear. You are about to hear me read Tiffany's blog post that I think that you are going to get a kick out of. Before we get to that, I want to give you a quick reminder that the 343 Coaching Education Program is what helps support and fund this podcast that you are listening to right now. If you are already a 343 Premium member, you are already enjoying all of the benefits of the program, including the videos, ebooks, question and answer sessions, and member forums that are available to you. If you are not a 343 member and you are wondering what we are all about, well, we have the perfect opportunity for you to see exactly what we have to offer and how we can help you become a better coach. Our free powerful coaching framework course provides an introduction to the 343 methodology with seven short and simple lessons focusing on our core exercises. And all of those lessons are delivered conveniently to your inbox on a weekly basis with each lesson building off of the last. If you finish the free course and you find yourself wanting more, Great. We have a premium course that will take you on a much deeper dive into the 343 curriculum using real training sessions and real game footage to show you exactly how Brian Clyburn developed one of the best teams and some of the best players in this country. So you can find all of the benefits of becoming a 343 member and help to support this podcast by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out. Com. All right, here we go. You are about to hear me reading some words that were written by Tiffany Weimer. And after that, you will hear the conversation that her and I recorded. I hope you enjoy. Tiffany Weimer, 
Blacktop to the Pros, How Playing with the Boys Changed My Life. Written by Tiffany Weimer and originally posted on TiffanyWeimer.com. As I crutched through the muddy grounds at a youth soccer field to see my seven-year-old cousin play, I realized my arm strength was likely not at professional athlete status. Nonetheless, I made it to the furthest field at the complex, plopped down on a cooler, and made it in time for kickoff. I squinted to figure out where my little cousin Mikey was on the field. He is one of the smaller ones out there, but I spot him easily wearing his green Nikes and his red glasses. The play was better than I expected. One player dribbled through the crowd several times to set himself up for a breakaway. Mikey always tried to pass the ball when he got it. He doesn't like when other players don't pass or trip him when he dribbles. After a few minutes, two girls came onto the pitch from the sideline, ponytails and all. They both jumped right into the mix, taking the ball away from the boys, dribbling up the middle of the field and passing to their teammates. The boys went in just as hard on tackles as they did with everyone else. Nothing changed. After the game, I asked Mikey if those girls always trained with his team, and he said no, and that was the end of the conversation. Watching those girls play with the boys triggered a hell of a lot of stuff for me. Good triggers. There are good triggers. I sat in my bed that night with my notepad on my lap. I sit in my bed a lot lately with my notepad non-weight-bearing after surgery. An image kept popping into my head of elementary school blacktops. There was nothing special about the appearance, a big black square that was likely supposed to be a parking lot. Maybe it was a parking lot when the other parking lot was filled. But to us, it was the field. It was our kickball field. Elementary school recess was usually split into two groups, boys and girls. The boys would play kickball, And the girls would, actually, I have no idea what the girls did during recess. From the first time I can remember recess, I remember playing kickball with the boys. I grew up with the best boys. Why? Because they let me play with them. We played kickball and we played basketball and ran races and did everything that could be categorized as athletic. We had great teachers in elementary school who seemed to enjoy recess as much as we did. Recess progressed from kickball to soccer at some point. I can picture our teachers carrying two big, bright orange traffic cones and a typical black and white paneled soccer ball to the blacktop. Not all the boys played organized soccer, but during recess, they all played. We all played. I wish the details were clearer. These were prior to the days of journaling for me. The important part was the way that I remember feeling like I was one of the boys. I remember feeling like I belonged. And this would continue through middle school and through high school when I would play town soccer with the North Haven boys team in addition to the girls teams and then train with premier teams of South Central Premier. I learned early that boys coaches were much harder on them than girls coaches were. And I loved it. But there was something about playing with the boys that was different. It wasn't that they were bigger and faster and stronger. I wanted to be around them more because they loved the game more. This isn't really a general statement either. They knew all the famous players and the tricks. And they were juggling before practice. And they wanted to stay at training longer and wanted to play pickup on their own time. 
They watched soccer on TV and went to games when they were close by. It was a different life. Now, that's not to say that girls that I played with growing up didn't love the game and put everything they had into it. It was just different. I felt like I fit in with the boys, even if I really didn't at all. I was still a girl after all, and they never forgot that. Growing up in the game with the opportunity to play with the boys at every level of my life, from elementary school recess to town soccer to training with premier teams to pick up with the Penn State men to training with every boys club team in the state of Connecticut as a pro, I cannot imagine my development as a player without them. I was comfortable being uncomfortable with them. I realize now that times are different in youth soccer. Girls don't always have the same opportunities that I had to play with the boys. Back then, there weren't many girls who wanted to train with the boys, so it was easier. If there is one piece of advice that I can give to young girls who want to get to the highest level, though, it's to try to find boys to play with. Their game is different. Their approach is sometimes different, and we can learn from them. It's my hope that the girls have the confidence to ask, can I play? And the boys have the sense to say, yeah, sure. Because the lasting effects for both are all positive and something that is much needed in this world today. This post is less about advice and more of a thank you. A thank you to all the guys out there, they're all men now, who were so incredibly kind to me when we were younger. Don't get me wrong, they gave me plenty of shit all the time, but they let me play with them, and though it was likely a small gesture on their part, it ended up changing my life forever. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Hi, John. How are you? Good. I'm doing good. Um, so I guess I should start off by saying it's already recording, but it doesn't okay. have to be recording if uh, if we need to do a pre-interview, which is totally fine if you want to. Sure that the fan that's on is not um, too loud. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't hear anything. You're all good. Okay. Great. Yeah. All good. Um. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to tell you the the same thing that I've told. I don't know how many people know. Like I literally don't know very much about you, and this interview, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to learn as much as possible. I I I looked up uh, a little bit about your player profile and and some places you've been. I have a ton of questions already, um, but I I kind of want to start with maybe asking what you want to talk about because there there might be something burning in your brain that that you want to get out there and if there is I want to make sure that we that we get to it um I think a lot of my experiences and my story will bring out topics um about the game and about the people in the game that um, you know, that are, are burning inside me. So <laughs> I think it'll, you know, kind of happen naturally, but, um, you know, anything that has to do with obviously improving the game or the path that I've gone on to get to where I am and how I think we can help each other, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. 
Well, I'm you, good with. I uh, I already know that you have a crazy path to uh, <laughs> to where you've gotten today, just by I think <laughs> if I if I remember right, fifteen teams, fifteen different teams that you've played yeah. with professionally. <laughs> yeah. Man. Um, okay, let's uh, let's start with this. Tell people okay. tell people who you are. And, and maybe a little bit about the beginnings of, of how you kind of found the game or your first experiences with the game. And then I'll kind of lead you down a, a, a direction or I'll kind of, I'll, I'll kind of, yeah, I'll, I'll lead you down a path that'll take us all the way to today. Okay. Well, my name is Tiffany Weimer. I'm 34 years old. I'm from North Haven, Connecticut. And I, um, I spent all of my youth playing in the, the Connecticut system. Um, I did the, the town team premier ODP, the very basic road that used to exist that, um, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then from there, I, I, um, you know, did the, the college thing. I went to Penn state and after I graduated, there was no pro league in this country for women. So I found, um, opportunities overseas. I was able to play in Finland and um, I got a, an amazing opportunity then to play in uh, Brazil for Santos, which um, really actually helped prepare me for the WPS combine, which, um, you know, that being able to play professionally in your home country is a dream. So a few years there, uh, that league folded. I found myself playing in Denmark. Um, Came back here for uh, the NWS for the Thorns and the Washington Spirit, FC Kansas City, Boston Breakers. Uh, was in Sweden for a little bit in between all of that. And I am back with the Washington Spirit after the Breakers folded. So it's been a lot of travel, but there <laughs> were tons of experiences in between all that travel. Um, you know, the travel just gets you to where you got to go, but the experiences make you who you are, right? So yeah. you skipped that's over kind of the basic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you is... you skipped you skipped over you, you skipped over your youth period pretty pretty quickly, and and some of the things that jumped out to me just when I I, I did a quick Google search of your name, like you were a badass in high school and college. I, I don't know another way to describe it, and. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. What tell tell me a little bit about you know the ages maybe like twelve to eighteen like what what was your what was your development process like going through the Connecticut youth system and and having to navigate ODP and high school and get ready for college and 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 I'm very very curious to to get your take on this because I just did recently did an interview with um, Yael Averbush mm-hmm. I have a really hard time saying her name yeah um, mm-hmm. and and her her story about that that time frame in her life was super interesting to me and i know that other girls that listen to this podcast are going to be able to relate to to you guys much differently than my story which you know there's always been a professional league for guys to you know aspire to mm-hmm. play in and things like that and so when you start to you know hit the ages of 12 13 14 you start to you know think about all right well what's going to be next for me and there was no like there right. was no definite answer for for you girls. So I'm really curious about that that time period, and especially because you were a badass, and you know there there should have been 
a clear like what's next for for you. So right. sorry, that was a very long statement. No, I don't even know if question. there's a question in there. <laughs> I got it. I um I I I didn't mean to skip over. I just I, I, <laughs> I always try to fit it all in, you know. Of course. Um the my mom always tells me when I turned eight, that's when I got the I can't miss practice mentality. <laughs> um, and then when I was 10, somebody told her she's going to get a scholarship to play in college, which didn't mean anything then. We didn't know what that meant, you know. So then by um, by 12 to 14, it was I'm going to play um, professionally. I'm going to be on a national team. I'm going to do all this stuff. I have no idea what that means, but this is what I'm going to do. And you, it's amazing the goals that you have for yourself when the, when those positions don't even exist, you know? And I think during that time, I didn't like, you know, you have your goal, but you don't know what it looks like. So you just have to focus on the every day. It's a lot of times now, I think people focus so much on the, on the big picture that they forget the the details are every single day. So I'm sure I, I talk to Yael a lot. She's a good friend of mine. And our development was similar with like an obsession with the ball, an obsession with the game. And it was very in the moment. It was that day, that minute. Um, it wasn't about the scholarship. It wasn't about the national team. It was just an, a love for the game that took us to that, that stage in our lives after. I think um, I had great coaches when I was young. I had coaches who loved the game, who were players. I had um, foreign coaches. Uh, there's a school near me, um, uh, sorry, Southern Connecticut State University, and they had a ton of foreign players. They actually won um, national championships, D2 national championships. They had um, All-Americans and stuff. And a lot of the guys that played there would coach us. So now we have foreign guys from Israel, from Trinidad, from all these different countries who are bringing their culture and their style to play to us and their love for the game. So um, I was also lucky to have parents who were youth coaches, um, dads who were, who actually knew what they were talking about. I think a lot of times it's hit or miss. You either get a good one or you don't. It's not really. Luck of the draw. Yeah. It it seems that way. So when it came to that and um, you know, the love I have always had for the game, it started so young and it, uh, you know, my mom and my parents always say they don't understand how it happened. Really, it just happened. So the, you know, then finding more was their job. How can we get more training? How can we get better teams? I played with boys. I played in my front yard. I, it was, it was constant. It was obsessive. <laughs> That's a, it's an interesting theme that has kind of, been in every interview that I've had and and I have to admit I haven't interviewed very many female players and and Mm -hmm. that's totally my fault um but the interviews that I have conducted with female players one one um one thing that always pops up is is playing with the boys and especially in Yael's interview where I think she she told me that she was playing like on an older boys team so she was like playing two years up on a Mm -hmm. a different boys team I'm curious if, if if you ever you know, actually formally joined a, a team or, or in a boys league, or were you just playing like pickup soccer or, or different, like, you know, informal, uh, informal games with the guys? There was a time when, when we start, you know, young ages, we played co-ed and then there's a split. So when that 
split happened, I made it a point to find teams to train with. And my town team allowed me to play with their boys team um, just because they felt I was good enough, I guess. And at the time, I'm, it's really funny we're talking about this. I just wrote a blog about it. I need a few edits, and then I'm, I'm posting <laughs> it. But it's, a, it's about, you know, the, my life growing up playing with the boys. And basically, at the time, there wasn't a ton of girls who wanted to play with the boys. So it was easy. You know, you didn't have to say no to somebody else. So I think now it's different because I'm sure all the girls would want to, you know, the parents want that that edge. So the parents would want the, the girls to play with the boys. But, you know, not everyone can. <laughs> yeah. So I think Yael and I were fortunate to grow up in a time when we were in the minority when it comes, when it came to that kind of development, that kind of like, you know, I'll do anything to get better or I'll do anything to play. Have you, have you given any thought to like what the advantages were or, or the, you know, the skills that you developed during that time of, of playing with the guys? Yeah, a hundred percent. I, you know, and it's not, it's not about how fast they played or, how big and strong they were, there was a, a different feeling around being with them. You know, they knew all the pro players. They knew all the moves and the, and the names of the moves and that they were actually people, you know. A Maradona is a person. It's not just some move that we do. <laughs> that's a, and, that's a, you know, funny, that's a were, funny point. <laughs> yeah. But they, um, you know, they loved it and they, talked about it and they got there early and they were juggling and they were doing extra and they didn't want to leave. And the coaches were hard on them and, you know, they took it and they were serious about it. There wasn't any joking around. And, and that's not to take away from the girls I played with, you know, because some of them were the same as me, but for the most part, it was more uh, a social thing. So when, when did I think you kind of gave me actually two timestamps? So you said at eight years old, like the obsession started. At ten years old, mm-hmm. it was kind of like identified that you know you were you were gonna go the not maybe go the college route, but like you like you had something in your future. Like soccer was in your future. At what point do you think you realized or your parents realized that this was gonna be like a lifetime professional? gig that that you would pursue I don't know when they thought that necessarily but I thought that when I was about 13 or 14 I I have there's all there's all evidence everywhere John of of your whole life you just have to look (laughs) for it you know if I go through my papers from school and they say you know what do you want to be when you grow up every single year it's soccer player it's soccer player there's nothing else there's no other there's no other option (laughs) so I go through my papers and I see that you know starting in middle school that this is a career now this is a career and this is going to be this is going to be my life at what point did you realize that professional soccer in America for women didn't exist I I don't remember that exactly but I think it was more you know, the national team route or since I was doing it at the time that I could play with the boys or the men, you know, I could just be the first female to play in a men's world cup. 
because when you're young, you just, you anything's possible. So why wouldn't that be possible? You know? That's an interesting thought. I've never, I've, I've never heard anybody put it that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really, I really want you to talk about your high school and your college experience, but I also really want to spend a good chunk of time talking about why you had to bounce around to 15 different teams professionally to j- just to be able to play. So I'm curious what you would rather talk about. Cause I'm, I'm fine with, I'm fine with either route. Okay. I can do both though. I can, okay. I can talk back. I'm from the Northeast, so I can talk fast. Um, <laughs> Go for it. I so um, the first thing you asked is about high school and college, right? Um, yeah. High school was something that we had to do. You know, now you have the option. Obviously, I would have probably preferred that uh, doing the DA program uh, back then because high school soccer was very much a social thing for girls then. And I just remember that it was fun. I got to try out a lot of things that I normally wouldn't do with my club team. My coach was very lenient, allowed me to have the freedom to play the way I wanted to. I scored a ton of goals. Um, That is kind of similar in college. I had a little bit more freedom to play the way I wanted to. It worked well within the system that we played. Between the two years or the two uh, four-year periods, I scored about 200 goals in eight years. And I have to credit the, the players around me and, and the coaches for allowing me to do what I wanted to do. And, you know, it worked, but, you know, after a while you have to start to, I think it's called defending or something like that. Defending. It's a, it's not a forward term that I used <laughs> when I was younger, but you know, then life changes and you have to be a, this complete player, which I, I will admit that I wasn't when I was younger. Um, and it, and it worked, but it doesn't work anymore, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it's a common thing, right? Like it's, especially in, in youth soccer, like, you know, eight, nine, ten years old where, you know, the best player on the field is, is usually like the biggest, strongest, fastest player, boy or girl, doesn't matter. And then mm-hmm. that, that player is usually not a complete player. You know, it, they go and they right. score goals. But then, you know, at ages 13, 14, 15, all of a sudden they're not the best player in the field because they didn't develop mm-hmm. the other skills or become, a, not, you know, not even close to a complete player. And then all of a sudden they're getting passed up and, you know, here comes the people that were doing the hard work all along and maybe didn't shine at ages 11, 12, 13. But 14, 15, they start to shine. So... Yeah, I, that mm-hmm. that story is pretty, pretty common. But that wasn't mm-hmm. you, though. So you actually you were you were just kind of like I said a couple times. I'm just you were a badass all along, but you noticed at, at some point that you weren't a complete player. And I'm curious how how you uh, how you developed what you were missing, or how you identified what you were missing, and and if you if you did certain things to kind of. Uh, close close the gaps in those areas I noticed after college that it was more difficult to score you know scoring was very easy for me when I was younger and then uh, when I went to the pros it was just more you weren't going to score you weren't going to score 30 goals in a season you know that just it's just more difficult 
and then I was changing styles, going to different countries, and I had to learn to adapt. It's hard when you're young to to change everything that you knew your whole life. So I actually met a fitness um, coach who is a soccer specialist. So he he basically just was, you know, he was like, you got to change or you're not going to make it at the next level. And so he worked with me to reinvent myself in a way that is more of, you know, a, a false nine or um, a 10 or, or a winger. I've played all those positions as a pro. I defend, I work my butt off, and I'm not a, a you know, a goal scorer like I used to be, but I'm a player who will help keep possession and I can take players on one V one, but you know, it's not, it's not the same. I still like how I play. I love how I play, (laughs) but obviously it's just different. So I had to learn how to be, I had to learn how to change. And I had to, I had to keep changing over the years. I always compare myself to Madonna because, you know, she's (laughs) been making music so long and, you know, the, the music scene changes and she has to change with it and she's still relevant, you know, and I, that's just the goal is to stay relevant and to, to stay up to date with the game because the game's constantly changing. And not only constantly changing, like, like the game itself, like evolving, but like the, the leagues and the locations and, and, and all kinds of different stuff, the cultures that you've been, you know, immersed in, all of that's changing as well. So it's like, you kind of have to play. Uh, yeah, like multiple characters throughout your entire life, like depending on where you ended up almost. And so if you're in right. Sweden, you mm-hmm. have to you have to have these certain characteristics. If you're in Brazil, you have to learn these other certain characteristics. If you're in WPS, well, then you need this, this, and this. And that's, to me, it's exhausting even thinking about it. And so I can't imagine going yeah. through that process as a, as a player. And I'm going to actually, I'm going to tell you a quick story I don't want to talk your ear off, but um, I was just having coffee at the place down the street from my house, and I was talking about my buddy who really, really wanted to pursue a career in professional basketball, but it's incredibly difficult to, you know, for for somebody to make it here in the United States and, and play pro basketball. He's a great player. Uh, played college, you know, at a smaller, I think, D2 or D3 school, but if you're not D1, you're it's very, very difficult mm-hmm. to go pro. Yeah. So he decided to go, I think he's in Central America right now, playing professional basketball. And I was just telling another friend of mine at the coffee shop, you know, about this guy's story. And, and my friend's response at the coffee shop was, is he, is he making money? And I was like, to him, it's not about, you know, making, you know, making millions of dollars. He's playing professional basketball and that's what he wanted to do. And he's making enough money to survive. And I feel Mm -hmm. like American soccer players for a long period of time can relate to that and then even more so and and more recent as well or up 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 to you know more recent times female professional soccer players in in America can relate to that story like hey like I'll do whatever it takes I'll go wherever I have to go to pursue my to pursue my dream and you have the CV to to prove that that you did that I mean Sweden Brazil United States, those are three places that we've, you know, already talked about, but I have a feeling there's a handful more that are, that are on your, on your list. So I'm curious about your, your decision to kind of chase this game all over the world and and why you wanted to do that and, and, and the experiences that you've had. And I know that's kind of like a, 
wide ranging question or thought, but I'll kind of just throw it to you and, and see, see where you go with that. I think, you know, if you look at my resume, it looks like I'm like a bad egg or something, right? Like nobody <laughs> wants me on their team. I'm like, you know, but at the end of the day, there's, there's a different reason for every, every team that I've gone to, every team that I've left. Um, I don't know how many times that we had a coaching change and it didn't, it didn't match up. I didn't even get a chance with the new coach um, or the team folded or, um, you know, an opportunity came up in the U S or, you know, there's a, there's probably five legitimate things that have happened for five, for 15 teams to happen. <laughs> and a few times it has been, it's been my choice to leave because I felt that I wasn't getting better. I felt that this could be a place where I lose the passion I have for the game or, you know, something better came along, something better that, you know, from, for the future of my career. And every time in my life, there's probably, I can count on one hand how many times this has happened that I felt like the, you know, the passion for the game could be, could be sucked out of me if I stayed here that is the first sign that, you know, even if I was playing a lot, I have to get out of here. This is that one. I can't let that happen, you know, because this is something that brings me so much joy. And I, I know too many people who are bitter toward the game. You know, they, they play because they want to get something in return. They give it so much because they want to get something out of it. And, you know, that's not why you play, you play because you enjoy it. And it's, it's a special game. It's different than other sports, you know. I mean, hockey and basketball are similar, but the fact that you can create your own thing out there is, you know, that's that's what I crave. And if I feel like that creativity is being hindered, then that's not the game anymore. So I'll, there were definitely times when I've left teams to avoid that. Can you give me a, dramatic, a specific... But... <laughs> Can you give me a specific time? Can you recall, like, uh, like maybe one, one of those experiences? Yeah, I hate to say it too because he's one of my favorite coaches, uh, Tony DeChico. Anthony DeChico is one of my great friends. But I was playing for the Breakers with Tony, and I just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't the place I should be. It wasn't for me, and uh, that at that time I. Uh, I think it was a combination of, you know, not really feeling appreciated as a player, being in competition with players who were faster and fitter and they were always going to get to play over me. And um, then at the end, I was dropped from the roster to the developmental team, which meant a big cut in salary and a huge loss with your um, health insurance. So, you know, if, if I don't feel like the environment is good for me to grow as a player and then I don't feel like I, you know, can even survive on chump change, then it's really not a good combination. So from there, I went to Sweden and I had really good training. I had a good team. I got to play games, 90-minute games. And from there, I just, I loved it again. It was it was right back to where it was. Also, living in Stockholm is pretty cool, so that <laughs> helped. I'm curious how how you get a connection 
to Sweden and to all, all the other places that you've been. And, and I've asked the other, the other girls I've had on the show about like having an agent and, and, you know, having somebody that kind of guides you. And for the most part, I think the consensus has been, and this is again, kind of, kind of the same story for just American players in general, but it, it's kind of like, like self-discovery, like, Hey, you know, I want to go here. How can I do it? And they figure out like their own way. And, and I'm, I'm curious if, if that's part of your story too, or if you had kind of like somebody advising you or an agent that was opening doors. So what, what was that experience like trying to, trying to seek out these other opportunities? I had an age, a Swedish, Swedish agent at the time. So that, that opened that door for me. And I, I had an agent, I've had an agent from time to time throughout my career when I felt like, um, it was going to be more difficult to find what I needed. There were definitely times, you know, you can reach out to your teammates, your old teammates who are on teams in different countries and say, Hey, you guys need any Americans. And you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> that's how it goes a lot now, just who you know. And, you know, as you get older, you realize you just got to pick up the phone and call the coach and not be afraid of rejection when you're young. That's very daunting and intimidating. So the older I've gotten, the more, I just want to answer, uh, you know, it's your, your opinion of me as a player is not going to change my opinion of me as a player, but I need to know if you need me or not, <laughs> you know? So that has been more recent in the last five years where I can just pick up the phone and call somebody. But for most, for most players, I think it's fine to have an agent and take some of the stress out of finding teams. And when you're younger, you don't really have those connections. So um, I think I would recommend to younger players to have one at this point. So I want to revisit the question I, I kind of opened the conversation with was like, what, like, what do you want to talk about? So we've kind of talked about your entire playing career at this point. What, what are some of the things like looking back on, you know, 15 professional teams, the college experience, high school, playing with the boys, finding that obsession with the game when, when you're, you know, a little girl, um, what are, what are some of the things that you look back on? And, and I don't want to say that you would do differently or that you would change. What, what are just, what, what are some of the things that, that come to mind, uh, most often and, and you find yourself thinking about these days? I don't know if that question makes sense either. I'm asking some weird questions today. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I I think about the time I put into the game when I was younger, and I I think it's hard. You know, I do. Ha everyone has like regrets or things they wish they did differently. I wish I um, took the physical side of the game a little more seriously from uh, from college on, and then I think I would have you know reached the higher levels of the game, the national team and stuff. I think that was the, the thing that I was lacking always as a player. The, the thing that I don't regret is the time that I put into the game. And I've talked to people, um, even in my own family, who wish they maybe put in similar time to the game that I did. And I think I'm just, I, I feel like I'm glad I did that. I don't regret, you know, anything in that sense, like putting my everything into something. Do you know what I mean? And I think now I see kids who 
want to try everything and do everything and be okay at everything. And I have a hard time relating to that. So I think back to like the way I grew up and how my life was consumed with soccer and maybe it wasn't such a bad thing because I'm, you know, 34 years old. I am a writer. I'm actually getting my master's in English. I am a business owner and I'm a professional soccer player. And I'm able to enjoy a lot of different things, even though I, you know, have com- committed my to- my entire life to soccer. So I do think about that a lot. And I think about how can we help the younger generation understand that it's okay to do one thing and to be great at one thing without them thinking they're going to miss out on the rest of their life. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting point that I actually, I, I talk about not not all that often but but people tend to get like worried for kids like when they're obsessed with it with the game at like 15 16 17 and they you know they want to turn pro and and you know certain certain people say like oh yeah but you know you're going to you need to do this or you need to go get your education or you need to you know do this this and that and and it's like they're almost like trying to deter the players from from chasing a professional uh chasing chasing a professional dream and that's a that's crazy to me to think that and when you have a kid at you know age 15 16 17 that's you know just has this crazy fire inside of them that you know is driving them in in a direction the the professional direction why would anybody try to derail that i i really struggle with that and and it sounds, it, it, you know, people are going to hear this and be like, well, no, nobody does it. Like, no, there's people that do that. There's people that. A lot. Uh, You're yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I hate, uh, I'm going to have to be careful how I say this. Um, I hate that people still reference Freddie Adu in, in that conversation. Like, oh, like, look what happened to Freddie Adu. Uh, you know, he, he got pushed into the game too young. It's like, that is one player. That is one player yeah. that that is handicapping the conversation for for decades now, and and to me, like that that is so insane that we're letting that one player, great guy, I'm sure. Like, there's I have nothing bad to say about Freddie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a person or as a player. But we need to stop, like, as a you know a, a, a country, we need to stop being fearful that you know that everybody's going to end up like him. And it, he's not right. even that his, his story is not even that bad. Like he's playing professional soccer still <laughs> I know. in his twenties. Like he's still doing great for himself. So right. to, to think that, that his story is a failure is, is insane to me. So sorry, that was a rant. I got on a soapbox. No, I, <laughs> I, I really appreciate that thought process because I don't understand how people can, I mean, the thing that I've noticed about pro players in the women's game it doesn't matter if you're the best player coming out of college. It just matters if you're the player that's going to put in the most. Are you going to are you going to work to be the best? Because and you know, are you willing to suffer through living in um, you know, an apartment in the Czech Republic that has bugs and no air conditioning so that you can play <laughs> and get 90 minutes. You know, like people do this. People are living this life so that they can play and at the end of the day, I don't care what anyone says. I wake up in the morning and I go to soccer practice and I get paid. And that is the best life that I could choose for myself as long as I'm physically capable. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know? No, no, I, I, I totally get it. And, and 
you know, not everybody, and this is, this is another, you know, train of thought that I, I think needs to be debunked is that not everybody needs to be a million dollar player or a $2 million right. player. And, yeah. and there are plenty of opportunities for, for young American soccer players, male and female to make a living off this game and, mm-hmm. and pursue professional careers, whether that's in, in, in first division, second divisions, third divisions, and you name the country, you know, those, those opportunities exist. And, and to, to think that, you know, that we're, that we're steering people away from pursuing those careers, especially like, you know, at such young ages, like 15, 16, 17, like I said earlier, you know, what, what's the harm in, in going and making, you know, 30, 40, 50, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year until you're 22, 23, 24. And then, you know, it'd be like, all right, I gave it a go. Now I need to find something yeah. different. Like what's the harm in that? Right. Exactly. And I know what the life of a pro player is like. You have a lot of free time. You can do other things <laughs> while yeah. you're playing. Yeah. I, I've, I've done it. I have to, you have to, you can't be a, a female pro player, not on the national team in this country and not have another job and not have another source of income. You just can't do it. What, what else have you done? So you, you kind of just uh, a few minutes ago, you hinted that you're getting your master's in English. You're a writer. I noticed that you, mm-hmm. that I, when I was researching you a little bit, I noticed that you had started your own, your own business. You mentioned that you're a business owner. Um, so what, what are those other things that, that you pursue or that you're pursuing and what do you, I guess, what are you trying to set up for the the future? I've always enjoyed writing and I, um, had a blog for most, almost all of my career. And so I wanted to be a better writer. So we had an opportunity at the Boston Breakers to go to get our master's for a pretty good discount. So I'm getting my master's in English and uh, nonfiction writing. So I can tell my story <laughs> maybe a little bit more colorfully in the future. <laughs> and um, What do you mean by that? I, I'm curious. Well, I mean, I was a journalism major, so I'm a, yeah, I'm a decent writer but you know I really wanted to learn how to uh, show more than tell Mm. and that's basically what all of my classes have been um, just to make it a little bit more entertaining you know I I was I I thought you were going to go like a different direction with that meaning like you had stories that you know are going to be more colorful meaning like uh I guess like juicy stories is, is a way to, is what came to my mind. Like stuff that you have. I do have yet. those. <laughs> I do have, a, I have a lot of those. You have to be careful though. If you want to stay in the game, you got to be careful. <laughs> is that true? Um, like pe- people, so people, I, I believe that to be true, but do you have to, do you yeah, feel like you have true. to censor yourself? Yeah, of course. You have to. Do you feel like you, you do a tell all because... someday? Um, I think so. I think at least to expose things that could help players in the future, not just to be like, you know, gossipy, but I think that there are things that happen in the women's game that need to change. And um, it's hard to do it while you're in the game, especially for like a player like me who is likely disposable. Um, But yeah, we all we all have stories, and they'll come out. That's why I always <laughs> tell people to be nice to me. 
That's funny. It would be nice to be. Yeah. What was your but, reaction? Uh, let, let me ask you this question really quick. What okay. was your reaction when, when Hope decided to make a, a, a run for U.S. soccer president and started to say and do the things that she, she was doing? I don't know Hope very well. I've played with her a little bit, but um, I, you know, the amount of information that I had about the campaign that she was running and the rest of, um, you know, it's just like kind of a lot of rumors. So obviously it would have, it would have been interesting to see her there, but at the same time, I don't know that, you know, I don't know what her experience is in that field. So it's hard to say, you know, she's one of the best goalkeepers of all time. And that's kind of as much as I know about her, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I mean, guess, it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, I guess where where my brain was going is that she he, she had started to kind of call out a little bit of like the the bad things that were, had been happening to the women's national team over the course of her career, and she she kind of started to to pull back the curtain just a little bit, and mm-hmm. and I know from talking with other people on the men's and the women's side of the game that doing that. And, and I kind of just asked you about it too, puts you at, puts you in massive risk. Like, you know, you, 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 you risk getting eliminated from the face of the earth when it comes to soccer, especially American soccer, when you start to pull back the curtain a little bit and, and expose certain things and having to, you know, censor yourself that much or having to walk on eggshells almost all the time man, like just saying that again, seems exhausting to have to think like that all the time. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, you just get used to it. You get used to a lot of things. You get used to, you know, it's, it's within the team. It's our business. If there's a time that it needs to come out, I don't know if you've realized over the, or seen after, um, over the past few weeks that sky blue, uh, some of the players stepped forward anonymously to, to kind of change the the structure of the team and the way they've been treated recently. Have you seen that? Um, I think I, I I saw something, but I didn't know the specifics behind it. Yeah, I think just the um, resources they had and the way they were being treated wasn't um, at the level that it should be. And some of the players stepped up and did something and it seems like things are changing there. But, you know, the it almost has to get to that that point where it's uh, dire and then it kind of might change but for the most part i think a lot of us are content in in even having a league because we've had the you know alternative yeah <laughs> so as much as we'd like to keep pushing the envelope it's hard to when you're also grateful to be playing every day yeah, what a what a predicament to be in. It's like you're you're thankful for what you have, but what you have is not necessarily the Good best enough. thing that you yeah. that you want. Right. I can't imagine that. Um Yeah. Um I'm going to I'm going to kind of try to try to steer us towards a <laughs> an ending here. Um I'm I'm curious maybe maybe I'll ask you my favorite question I've been asking a lot of people lately 
and and it kind of ties into or it might it might or it might not tie into the stuff that we just finished talking about but what do people need to know right now and and you can take that question and run with it however you want you can direct it towards players towards parents um whatever um but what what do people need to know right now in american women's soccer i actually have a great answer to this people especially youth coaches who are coaching young girls they need to understand that um, they are helping these young players to improve, to reach their goals and to do all these great things, you know, hopefully building them up with confidence and, and making them to be the people and the players that they want to be in the future. What I feel like is lacking is the, you know, the connection between the pro league and the youth, because I don't think that, a lot of coaches are, you know, introducing them to the NWSL and showing them that there are players out there who, you know, they can emulate or who they can look up to or games that they can go to or, you know, our league is not, you know, by any means where it needs to be. And that, you know, that starts with attendance and exposure. And there are, you know, millions of girls who play soccer in this country. So I just don't understand, I guess, how, we have coaches who are coaching girls and yet not exposing them to the highest league in the country. One of the best leagues in the world. It's almost like, um, college soccer is still the destination. Yeah. Like that, like that's where coaches are really focusing their efforts to, to push their players attention to. It's like, Hey, you know, 15, 16, 17 year old players, you know, you should really start looking at, you know, Virginia and North Carolina and and those types of things. And they're not, they're not sparking the interest in, in the professional game. I don't know if that's a fair assessment or not. Yeah, no, that's fair because the goal is the college scholarship after all. And, um, I think that we see a lot of players who finish college soccer and then they don't become fans of the women's game after so you know my question is why what happened were they ever really fans of the game or was the goal always just to play college soccer and be done you know is that just is that the reason why most girls play um you know there's too many too many players who graduate and then i just can't see them i don't see them at the games (laughs) you know they're not coming to the games or they're not supporting the league yeah, I did a, an interview with a guy named Justin Reed, um, man, about a maybe about a year ago now, and he he sent me a bunch of statistics about you know NCAA, and his was his his research was more based on um, African American coaches that are involved in NCAA coaching, but in the, in all the data that he had sent me were you know these staggering numbers of players that are participating in NCAA soccer. And there was something like, you know, oh man, I'm, I'm going to butcher this. Maybe I want to say 22 or 23,000 D one, uh, female players. Wow. And, wow. and it's like, okay, so there's 22, 23,000 D one players. That's not including D two, D three, NAIA. And I could be a little yeah. bit off with, with those stats, but you know, 
and, and then there's nine professional teams for them to to right. go to in in yeah. you know the next phase of their of their life and not all of those are guaranteed to go uh, or not all those spots are guaranteed for american born players either so you know there's really only what i don't know 120 130 roster spots maybe available for american players mm-hmm. um in in women's professional soccer that and then we have 20,000 d1 girls playing soccer like the math is just off for some reason it doesn't make any sense to me so right um well why are those players not becoming fans that's the question are they bitter or are they just not interested you know that's that would be the biggest question and the thing i would want to know is how do we get those players to help to grow what we have so that their kids can play or their you know how do you think we do that I don't know. I, I think it goes back to when I was 12 years old playing with the boys and why I liked playing with the boys so much. You know, there's a, there's, we have soccer players and then we have fans of the game. You know, I was both. I don't think that a lot of young girls are both. That's a good point. And that, you know, I mentioned before that I'm a business owner and I'm going to plug my company here. Sorry for (laughs) that. Um, it's called Dupic brand and, um, we make soccer notebooks for coaches and players. And we recently came out with a player notebook that's called, um, the, my trainer. And it has, um, different pages in it that guide players through, um, you know, goal setting, game analysis, player profiles, and things that they can do mental training, um, setting even just goals for their, their own training sessions. So that they can kind of understand tactically, technically the game at a different level by, you know, being guided through it a little bit. And our hope with the company is obviously to help make the lives of coaches easier and more professional and organized, but also to help create a generation of players that um, understand the game better, that want to be students of the game. Because I think once you become a student and you, and you want to learn, then that's how you become a fan because you, the little things are so, you know, beautiful, as I'm sure you understand. <laughs> no, 100%. So uh, th- this is a, a story I've told before, too. That I, So I used to work in the beer industry, and I used to work for a place that uh, produced uh, sour beers. And so that is like mm-hmm. kind of like a niche in, in the beer world. And a lot of times people would come in and do like a taster flight. And, you know, you get to try five things for 10 bucks or whatever. And they would throw in or we would throw in a sour beer. And if you've if you don't know anything about those, you try it for the first time and you're just disgusted. But mm-hmm. usually the appreciation for the sour beer comes after a little bit of education. So, you know, talking to a brewer about what they were going for and, and getting a little bit of an understanding mm-hmm. behind the process. And once you start to understand the process behind it or become a student of it, like you mentioned, well, then then you can appreciate it and become a fan of it. And so right. I think that is that is a theme that can can be stretched across multiple industries or, or sports or whatever that uh, that we just we we need to highlight more of if, if people understand the whys and become a student and want to learn about these types of things their appreciation is going to go through the roof and right. I, mm-hmm. i'm i'm very happy that you that you brought that up um where where can people find your blog, your, your product, 
um, and and just connect with you in, in in whatever way that you prefer. I have a website, TiffanyWeimer.com. It's pretty um, it's pretty easy to find. A Google search of my name. The company is called Duktigbrand, Duktigbrand.com. It's a Swedish word. If you type it in a few times, you'll figure out the right spelling. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I am more than happy to talk with anybody about soccer over social media, email, whatever. I can do this all day, every day. My passion is to improve you know, the, the lives of coaches and players, not just in this country, in every country, because I think that they're the lifestyle for um, the players and coaches is not um, the most ideal until you get to the very highest of levels. And as you see in our country, even for females at the very highest of levels, it's still not where it should be. So we're just trying to do our part to, you know, make a little bit of a scratch on the surface. Uh, I think you guys are doing more than a little a little scratch. That that notebook that you guys developed is on fire right now. I see that I see coaches talking about that all the time. That's uh, that's an insane an insanely good product that you that you came up with. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate um, that. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually um I'm going to be interviewing a guy hopefully next week. Uh, who developed a a soccer app? I don't want to release too much info about. It. I don't know what I can say or can't say about it. I guess it's public; it doesn't matter. But I I noticed that your guys's logo is connected to his app somehow. So looks like you guys are oh, in business Matt? together. Yeah, I'm interviewing Matt. <laughs> He's a good friend of mine. Nice. Yeah, I've I've connected with him on on social media for for a while, and and I've been bugging him. Like, hey, man, like I need to interview. You. I need to interview you. <laughs> and so I think finally next week we're gonna get it done. Awesome. Good guy. Yeah. Good choice. Um, all right. Any, anything else that we didn't get to that you feel like you need to get off, uh, get off your chest? I don't think so. I think, uh, if we can get, you know, people out to the games and supporting the NWSL, that would be, um, so important for the future of girls and women in this country. Uh, I think, I just think it's a huge, huge opportunity to continue to to make incredibly strong women even stronger and really grow um, within this country. All right. Well, that's, I, that's uh, my final word there, John. <laughs> All right. Um, I appreciate you setting aside an, an hour of your time to to come on the show, and um, I'll I'll link to all your all your stuff in the in the show notes. So that way, people can can link up with you. And, okay, and follow cool. you Thanks on so the much. next yeah follow you on the next part of your journey too awesome i appreciate it and thanks for having me i really like what you guys are doing it's awesome Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. And a big, big, big thank you to Tiffany Weimer for coming on the show and for letting me read her blog post at the very beginning. That was very nice of her. If you would like to find out more about Tiffany and her Duke Dig brand planners, 
you can visit her website, tiffanyweimer.com, or you can go visit 343coaching.com and get links to all of her social media profiles, Duke Dig brand, and everything else that Tiffany's up to. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can learn about all of the benefits of becoming a 343 Coaching Education member. And that is what helps to support and fund this podcast. So if you would like to learn more about that, once again, 343coaching.com. Here is Tom Beyer to talk a little bit about his experience in taking one of our online courses. And I can tell you, after someone who's done a lot of coaches' education, both as a student and as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. And it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop, um, not just, you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, if you would like to learn more information about that course that Tom was just talking about or find more episodes of this podcast or more blogs or just more information about 343, you can do all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343, coaching, all spelled out, .com. All right, we will catch you guys next time here for another episode of the 343 podcast. Thank you for listening and adios.